Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're in Acts 21 and we are in the middle of this uh, story of Paul and Paul is in a predicament. If you remember last week, Paul is journeying towards Jerusalem. He wants to get there in time for the day of Pentecost. And there are people that are warning him not to go, right? We had Agabus, and Agabus said, my goodness, Paul, if you go, this is what's going to happen. He grabbed a belt, and he bound his hands together, and he bound his feet together and said, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be bound just like this. Another group of disciples also encouraged Paul in the same way and said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, some uncomfortable things are going to happen. We don't think this is where God would have you go. And we talked about the fact that sometimes when the Holy Spirit warns us of something, he's not trying to stop us from doing something necessarily. He's preparing us for what might be coming. So here's Paul. He's in this season where he has to determine, do I go forward or not? And he obeys the Holy Spirit, even though it appears that obeying him would be uh, very uncomfortable for him. So Paul is, uh, he journeys to Jerusalem, and what we find here is the scene that unfolds because Jerusalem is in an uproar. It is, um, they are angry at Paul, and this is what happens, verse 31, this is where we pick it up. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, which leads us to believe what they had been doing up until that time. They had been beating him. Verse 33, then the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Quick history note, the reason why there's two chains, one for each arm, one for each side of his body, he would have two soldiers handcuffed on either side of him. So this is where Paul's at, verse 34, we keep reading, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he had come to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Now, what they meant by away with him was kill him. Like away from this, not just our presence, not just away from Jerusalem, eliminate him. That's what's happening now to Paul because of his obedience to go to Jerusalem. Verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? This is just a weird, weird time for Paul to bring up a person's language, isn't it? So understand the sequence of events. They're beating him. The tribune comes, and he's puzzled as to what to do next. They stop beating him. They chain him to either sides. They start leading him down this procession. And in this moment, while death is certainly imminent, if not just the arrest, Paul says, by the way, what language do you speak? Do you speak Greek? Verse 38. Are you not the Egyptian, they asked him, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Luke kind of gives us a little historical context here. The Egyptians mentioned 
um, led a ragged army of about 4,000 men to the Mount of Olives where they declared they would take over the Temple Mount. Roman soldiers had to uh, get them quickly scattered, but the leader got away. So now they're like, oh, are you that leader that got away? That's what's happening here. Verse 39, Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and uh, Cilicia, uh, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg me, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. So the Roman commander thought that Paul was a terrorist and was surprised that Paul was actually an educated man, could speak Greek, and we would expect Paul to be screaming, help, I'm innocent, this is absurd. And he says, in fact, let me speak to the people. Paul's goal here was maybe I can calm them down. Things seem to be out of control. Let me speak to the people. Paul identified himself as a Roman commander, uh, uh, himself to the Roman commander, and now he's a citizen of Tarsus. He's not a terrorist. Maybe this will give him an opportunity to speak to the people. It kind of leads us to this this opening thought I had as I was studying this. Uh, Paul Paul had one thing in mind as he was being arrested, as he was being beaten, and that was this, is there a way for me to share the gospel? We'll see that unfold in a moment. And it leads me to this thought as I was thinking about Paul under duress, and that is this, if you're following in your notes, you will rely on in crisis what you learn to rely on in everyday life. Right? You will learn to, you will rely on in crisis what you learn to rely on in everyday life. And so the reason that we prepare ourselves for moments of crisis is because we don't know when they come. Um, No one's ever walked into my office and said, "Uh, uh, Daniel, uh, this weekend I have a few hours alone and I plan to look on pornography. Will you help me out? No one plans on it. No one ever comes into my office and says, hey, Daniel, uh, as you know, (laughs) we have the two kids. It's going great. Here in about 18 months, we're going to get separated. Would you help us out? No one says that. Because crises come at unexpected moments as an accumulation of life. And so it is important for us to understand we will rely on in crisis what we learn on in everyday life. So what do you rely on in everyday life? What are the things that you need to get through every single day of your life? Let's start here. What's the first thing you do when you get out of bed? Um... Most statistics will tell us that in America today, uh, most Americans, not present company excluded, perhaps, uh, most, most uh, Americans will reach for their phone before they talk to their spouse in the morning. Most, uh, most Americans will reach for their phone and look up social media or email or, or something on their phone before they have a conversation with their kids. Most will reach there before they look at scripture. Most will do there before they pray. Um, You tell me what you rely on every day. Because those things that we rely on, we will go to them in crisis and we will see those moments of crisis where, where we put our faith in and what we rely on, they will crumble in our hands because they're not substantive. Um... If you are relying on your own uh, feelings to navigate your way through life, uh, that might work on an average Monday to some success. But when there's a moment of crisis and you have to evaluate uh, your life based on what you're feeling in the moment, how many of you understand your feelings will lie to you? They will boldface lie to you. 
And so we will rely on in crisis what you learn to rely on in everyday life. The beautiful thing about Paul is this. We see the highlights of Paul's life, but much of what Paul went through was behind closed doors as he studied scripture with Ananias, as he was mentored and and discipled by uh, Barnabas, as he worked with uh, Silas and with um, uh, Timothy, as he worked with these men, we see the everyday life of Paul being structured around how can people hear about the good news and how can I point them to Jesus. So now in this moment of crisis, we see him go back to the same thought pattern. We read on verse 40, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, think about this, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language saying, we'll read what he says in just a moment. It gives Paul's permission to speak. Now he's quieting the mob. The Bible says there's a great hush that falls around upon the, uh, those that are gathered, a dramatic moment for sure. And this is the opportunity Paul had waited a lifetime for to address people in these moments. Um, when we look at Romans, you'll see different passages where Paul describes how much he loves his brothers and sisters, the Jewish brothers and sisters, which is ironic because his ministry was primarily to Gentiles. But he loved his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he wanted desperately for them to understand what it meant to follow Jesus and to have their life dedicated to him. And, and Paul was willing to do anything in order for that to happen. I want to take a, uh, go away from Acts for just a moment. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I believe we have it on the screen. Yeah, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul has written this uh, towards the end of his uh, time in prison. And he writes these words. I would love for us to read these together. Ready, begin. I want to know Christ... And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Let's stop right there. That sounds awesome. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Wouldn't you want that in your everyday life? Wouldn't you want that on Monday on the way to work that you get to experience, to know and experience Christ and the mighty power that raised him from the dead? When you're going through your week, when you're parenting this week and with your kids, don't you want to know Christ and the mighty power that raised him from the dead? When you're working with someone, when you're uh, out in the community, this week it would be awesome to experience that. You know what that means? Look at the next verse, next part. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Paul recognized to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, we must be willing to suffer sharing in his death first. So here's Paul recognizing that the magnitude of his life would be reduced down to this concept, are you willing to suffer with me? Are you willing to obey with me? Are you willing to go through the difficult portions of life? Paul's call in ministry makes this similarities especially striking in terms of how he lived his life. But we are called to follow Jesus, not just in moments that are easy. In fact, we often want to experience the joys of Christianity without ever recognizing the journey through the valleys that are necessary. In your notes... In order to experience the mountaintop experiences of our faith, we must be willing to walk in obedience through the valleys. There has to be 
in a, a willingness from us to simply follow Jesus wherever he goes. And as we follow Jesus, we must, we got to recognize it is not all going to be on mountaintop experiences. Uh, Libby and I are going to go on a hike this week on Saturday. And, and part of the beauty of, you know, a couple mile hike is you get to the top of the hike, you get to the top of a hill or a mountain, and from there you get to see the view. And then you come back down off the mountain. It takes the journey to go up the mountain in order to enjoy the view. Now, partly up, up the mountain, you can kind of get a sense of the view. You can kind of get a sense of what the, the, the beauty that you're going to behold. But when you get to the top of the mountain, there and there only do you get to see the vast expanse of what you're looking at, and you get to uh, enjoy the, the beauty of everything around you. But you have to go up the mountain in order to get there in the first place. You know what you don't get to do on a hike from one mountaintop? You don't just get to skip to another mountaintop. They should really tell you that before you get to the top, by the way. You have to come up. You have to go up the mountain. You have to come down the mountain. It takes this whole experience. And so Paul recognized and he learned through his life that in order to experience these mountaintop experiences in our life where it can't get any better and you see God provide and you see your faith realized and you see your family restored and relationships restored and you see people coming to Jesus and you're able to worship on this level where you could be ne never closer to God and you're on this mountaintop experience. The only way we get to experience that is by willing to do the work to go up the mountain in the first place. What that means for us is this. There will be moments of temptation in the wilderness. There are people who will meet who only can get their needs met by God. Um, we will seem at the mercy of a storm. We will be in the valley of life, so to speak. And it's in the valley where God promises his presence to guide our paths. Here's Paul. Um, and we see his first mountaintop experience when you think about the life of Paul is when he is, uh, his, his sight is arrested and he's blinded, right? And from that moment... If that's the mountaintop experience, he goes into obscurity. We, he disappears for months and months at a time. For years at a time, he disappears. Where is he going? He's going in the valley. He's going with Ananias. He's going with the other disciples. They rejected him. They don't want to be around him. Even Ananias says to God, are you sure that's the one I should be discipling right now? Because I don't want to be around him. He does all of that, and he goes in obscurity. And the next time we see Paul, there's a mountaintop experience, and then he disappears for a while again. Why? Because repeatedly in his life, he would recognize that if we are to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raises him from the dead, we must want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Um, Psalms 23. We were, I was looking at this last night. Psalms chapter 23 Beautiful psalm. We all know it. I was reading through the verses and it seemed interesting to me what the psalmist asks and, and recognizes from God. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd and I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. So in, in, the, in the moment that we are getting rest and we're experiencing peace, the next promise is this, he renews my strength. Well, if you're already at rest and you're already at peace, why do you need strength? If you're already at rest and you're already at peace, why do we need strength? Because the next part says this, he guides me along the right path, bringing honor to his name. It's strength for the journey at hand. 
This is what Paul's life was about. And so Paul experiences this mountaintop experience because he was willing to walk in obedience. We left off with Paul's disclosure, or with, with Paul getting the opportunity, I should say, to make his defense in the next chapter. So we're in chapter 22, verse 1. It says this, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I have now made before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, verse 3, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Silica, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, bringing, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. That's nice of Paul to say, by the way. They were just beating him. They had just arrested him and saying, man, you guys are zealous just like I was. You are zealous in this moment just like I was. Uh, What's the first thing he says in verse 3 to them? He says what? I am a what? Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews, and he reminds them that he is a Jew as well. We've talked about this in the book of Acts, this whole series, or this whole study, I should say. But Paul was careful to lay common ground when he began sharing the gospel. He always started where where people were, and here is no different. Paul shares the common ground, and he starts telling the story of his life before Jesus and then his conversion. So much of what we're going to read today right now is going to be a little history of the life of Paul. He, know, he noted that he was born outside of the promised land, but he was born in Jerusalem. He was at the feet of Gamaliel, which those people would recognize as the most prestigious rabbi of the day. In Philippians, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. He knew what to say to make sure these people understood his pedigree. And now it seems like he's searching for the nicest possible thing he could say about a mob that had just tried to murder him. At least I can say you're as zealous towards him that I was, and you're zealous this day as well. We read on verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul did his work of persecution with the approval of the religious leaders, and basically his message at this point is this, I understand why you've attacked me. I was an attacker once, and I understand where you're coming from. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about a Noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone round about me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of one who was speaking to me. Verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? Pretty good response, by the way, if you're being blinded by a light from heaven and you hear the voice of God. What shall I do, Lord? Yeah, pretty good way to respond. The Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. It's almost like Paul is saying, man, I was just like you. I had the zeal that you had until this moment happened, and I saw Jesus for who he was. And when I saw him for who he was, it changed everything about my life. Verse 12, one Ananias, 
a devout man, devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Verse 16, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. It was Ananias, a man with credentials as a good Jewish person who received him into the Christian family. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, Paul in his letters doesn't ever refer to this vision or this trance as they uh, translated it. His life was founded on God's word and I think probably thought of himself as the perfect one to bring the gospel to fellow Jews But God gave him this warning, you need to get out of Jerusalem, and gave him a ministry almost exclusively to Gentiles. It's interesting because uh, while Paul thought he was well-suited to to do one thing, Jesus looked at the, the, the life that he lived, the experiences that he led, and said, I know this looks good to you, but I have something else planned for you. Verse 19, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Basically, he's saying, if I go preaching, knowing, and people knowing my record, they're not going to receive the words I say. Verse 20, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. This was Paul's gentle objection to the warning Jesus gave him about going to the Gentiles, going to the Jews. Um, Paul's idea is this, Lord, they will listen to me. They know I used to persecute Christians, so my story will be powerful and persuasive. Paul thought his early energetic persecution of the church gave him more credibility with the Jewish people who are against Christianity. And he tried to explain to Jesus why he should really stay in Jerusalem and work to tell the Jewish people about Jesus. You ever find yourself in that situation where you just try to tell Jesus what the right plan is? Like, Lord, I, this makes sense. Sure, on paper it makes sense. But Lord, you haven't seen it from my perspective yet. And if you were to see it from my perspective, you would understand that what I have in store is much better. Now, here's the thing. We may not pray that, but we will act that out. Right? Now, as silly as it was for me to pray that out loud to Jesus, how much more silly would it be for us to act that out in our life? Where God gives you a clear direction And in the way you behave, it becomes, well, my way is better than your way, God. God, you don't have all the information. Paul's objecting with God gently through the book of Acts several times. And every time God forbade him or the Holy Spirit prevented him, Paul obeyed. But there was always this little strife with Paul on what he felt like what the best plan would be. Verse 21 He said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It's interesting. Jesus didn't agree with Paul's response. Jesus knew that it was not Paul's time and place to preach to the Jews the way Paul wanted to. Instead, for his own safety, for the last 20 years, he has been departing from Jerusalem. 
He's been away from the Jewish people primarily in Jerusalem in order to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul made it clear that it was not his idea to preach to the Gentiles. That was God's plan, not his. But he obeyed Jesus and his word. I want to I end on this thought. Just like Paul's story was worth sharing here, I mean, he goes back and he gets permission from the tribune and says, man, let me, let me speak to the crowd. And as he does, he says, I'm a Jew just like you were. In fact, I was zealous just like you were. And you have shown your zealousness today, as I can see, as he's dangling from the chains, right? Like he's saying the story and then he shares his story. And just like Paul's story was worth sharing, as your pastor, may I gently remind you, your story is a story worth sharing. I don't know where or how or to whom you will share your story, but I'm here to tell you your story is a story worth sharing. I don't know the people that need to hear the story, but there's someone who needs to hear your story. What would it look like for you to share your story? What would it look like for you to say, man, this is my life before Jesus, this is who I was, and this is my life after Jesus? Um... The older I get, I'm still a very young pastor, mind you. I'll take it. Only a few of you laughed. Um, the older I get, the more I just want to hear stories from my parents. I just want to hear stories. One of the last times we were um, home, um, Libby and I, uh, it was probably a couple years ago, we went down and uh, you got to understand, my parents moved to Southern California in 1980. I was born on the day Mount St. Helens blew. Those of you who are alive for that, May 18th, 1980. Um, and um, shortly after that, 10 months later, my family immigrated from India to Southern California. And they did it in two stages. My dad came out first um, with my oldest brother, Sam and um, found a place to live, got, I think he had two jobs at the time, if not three, and, um, and then a few months later, um, bought tickets for uh, myself, uh, my brother Steve, who passed in December, my sister Kamala, and my mom. And my mom didn't know any English at the time, <clears throat> had never been on a, <clears throat> never been on a plane before, uh, pretty sure never been on an elevator before. And she flew from India all the way to LAX. And so a couple of years ago, uh, I said, tell me the story, mom. Like how, I, I, I don't understand how this works in 1980 for you to make this trip. So she started telling some of the details of this trip. Turned out one of the layovers were in, was in Germany. And so she's in Germany um, and they put her up in a hotel um, must have been a long layover. She's in the hotel. She has probably me in her arms, holds hands of, of uh, my sister. Uh, my brother got loose. And as the elevator doors were closing, escaped. Yeah, right? It's 1980. She doesn't know any English, which wouldn't help. She's in Germany. Uh, so the doors close, and my brother's gone. I don't know how long it took, but it took him a while to find my brother get to the room, part of the vouchers was for a meal. Uh, 
my mom describes the meal. They come up to her room. She said, we couldn't eat any of it. And I'm trying to think what would possibly have been on the, on the meal. Probably some, some, help me out, what would German food be? Like some, some sausage and some spetzel or something like that. Yeah. Sauerkraut, yeah. They're probably looking at that like, where's the curry? Where's the spice? There's, no, there's nothing here. Uh, she lands in, in um, LAX, however many hours later, right? No way to get a hold of my dad. My dad's at work. So they're just there at the airport with me, my brother, and uh, my sister. Another Indian family was picking up someone else at the airport and recognized my mom because she, to this day, she's at church right now. She wore a sari to church. Uh, where is the sari? So she goes and uh, they go and say, hey, do you need help? They find a language that they both have in common, start talking, and she says, oh, well, why don't you just come over to the house and we'll call your husband? Like, if this happened today, this is just one, one nightmare after another. She goes to the person's house. They entertain her for a few hours, get a hold of my dad. My dad comes home and, or goes to their house and picks him up. Um, and my mom's telling me this story. And, uh, and by the end of it, there's just tears, right? She's just remembering all of the emotions, everything coming to America, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, and, and finally getting reunited with my dad and my oldest brother. Um, and she just kind of tags that story with, uh, Jesus has never let us go. He never lets us go. Your story is worth sharing. Somebody needs to hear your story. I remember the first time um, I saw my in-laws in person and met them. It's Mother's Day, so I'm sharing some mother stories. Um, and uh, so Libby and I started dating in May. Uh, in October of that year, uh, we go out to fly out to Dayton, Ohio to, to visit with them. And this was the official meet the parents, right? Who is this guy you've been dating? Um, we get there and uh, we land. I, f I feel like we had dinner that night, probably. Anyway, the next day we're in the car and it's uh, dad's driving and mom's up front. And I, I think it's me, Libby, and her brother, Joel, who's not here. Um, and we're driving around. Now, this is October in Ohio, right? So just think about the foliage of what's happening in Ohio. This is how my mom describes it. It's quiet. We're all in the car. And she goes, it's just really nice to have some color here. And I didn't know them that well, and I thought, this is a moment. I don't know what to do with this moment. <laughs> like, I could do something with this, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know if I can get away with a joke. I don't know if I, like, what do I do? It's, it was beautifully laid up for me. And I think my hand was probably on Libby's, and I think I just went <laughs> to Libby's knee. And um, I told him about it like two days later, and we all had a good laugh about it. It's a funny story. We had a lot of, we met a lot of people that weekend, and there was one night, probably pretty early, probably that night, actually, where we stayed up. Yeah, because it was Saturday night before church, and uh, it was Saturday night before church, and um, we stayed up. It was me, Libby, mom and dad in the, um, in the living room, and uh, so, you know, I share my story. I share how I you know, how I ended up in Roseburg, how Libby and I met, uh, the church, and just my life. 
and mom and dad just shared a little bit of their story and what God had restored in their life and in their family. Your story is worth sharing. And we live in a community, in a society, where we don't know always how to share or communicate or elaborate on what God has done for us. But I'm telling you, there is a world that needs to hear it because your story is worth sharing. It's worth sharing because people need to hear. And here's Paul, and he's under arrest. Um, He's being beaten. You have probably never been beaten for your faith. And if you have, I apologize. But most of us, I can think I can safely say we've never been beaten physically for our faith. Here's Paul, and he's being beaten. And he says, let me have a moment. I think if I can speak to the crowd, I think I might be able to calm them down. And his first priority was this. Man, I'm a Jew just like you are. He laid the common ground. He said, in fact, here's my pedigree. Here's the people I knew. Here's where I grew up with. Here's my people. And all of a sudden, people are, oh, we know Gamaliel, right? We know him. Oh, oh, he's, okay, okay. And then he starts explaining his life before Jesus and what happened when Jesus came into his life. And Paul recognized 20 years ago, man, my story would be so worth sharing. And God goes, leave Jerusalem. You're not going to talk to the Jews. Dot, 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 dot. Right? It felt like a hard stop when God told him that. He says, why don't you go over here? And he goes over there. And why don't you go over here? And he goes to Thessalonica. And why don't you go over here? And he goes to Berea. And why don't you go over here? And every single place he goes, he's kicked out, right? Every single place he goes, except Ephesus, he is physically removed. There's a riot. There's people that can't stand what he's doing. And he's removed from the city to go to the next city. And all along, all he ever wanted to do, I wish I could just share my story with my Jewish brothers and sisters. 20 years later, most theologians believe this is about 20 years later. He's in chains. And God says, hey, remember how you wanted to share your story? Here's your chance. Your story is worth sharing. So I want you to consider this. Not only is your story worth sharing, someone needs to hear your story, right? There's someone in your life. There's someone you're sitting with. There's someone that you're watching the live stream with right now. There's someone that you're listening to right now if you're listening to this later in the week. And someone needs to hear your story. And the point of us sharing our story is not so that we could just entertain ourselves. It's not so that we could feel good about what we have accomplished in life. The point of our story is so that someone would fall in love with Jesus. My brother-in-law, we're talking last night, and he was saying that um, if, we were, if, if we're given these moments where people get to know us, and if they walk away saying, man, having met so-and-so, I just love Jesus more, that that would be the ultimate compliment in our life. And here's the opportunity. I don't know where, I don't know how, but I know your story is worth sharing so that people can fall in love with Jesus more. You're going to rely on in crisis what you learn to rely on in every day. 
So first I want you to think through, what am I relying on every day? What are the things I lean on every day? Who are the people I lean on every day? What are the rhythms of my morning? What are the rhythms of my afternoon? What are the rhythms of my evening? What are the things that I, that if, if left undone on a certain day, my day feels incomplete? That's what we're talking about here. That's what you're relying on. Those are the relationships you're relying on. Those are the habits you're relying on. And let me ask, let me ask you to consider this, that if you want to be well prepared for the crisis that will inevitably come, and let's just pause and say a crisis will inevitably come in your life, a financial, a, a relational, um, a forgiveness issue, there will be a crisis in your life. And if we can prepare ourselves for crisis by putting into place the, the foundational things of what, our li- what we can rely in our lives on, then in crisis, you know what it is? We get to hear God's voice clearer because we've been listening to him all week. We get to see his hand work because we've been looking for opportunities for him to work already. You re- will rely on in crisis what you rely on in everyday life. And as your pastor, let me remind you, in order to experience these mountaintop experiences in our faith, we must be willing to walk in obedience through the valleys. We have to figure out what it looks like to simply walk through life knowing that life is not designed for us to have mountaintop experiences day after day after day. Most of life is traveling up to the mountaintop experience and traveling off of it. That's most of life. And there's few moments where we get to enjoy just the absolute perfect everything in our life working in harmony. Most of this life is working to that moment and coming off of that moment. Paul was careful to lay common common ground when sharing the gospel because your story is worth sharing. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.